neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, finishing up the church at Laodicea, as well as the third chapter of the book of Revelation. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. chapter 3 verse 14 and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write this is the last church that Jesus addressed here in the book of Revelation in church history it represents the day in which we now live when this time began the Laodicean church period, we don't really know. But I believe that Jesus gave us some hints here in this verse. He said, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In the beginning, God. Not some little slime that fell off of an amoeba and wiggled up on the shore some 10 million years ago. But in the beginning, God. God is the first cause of all things. He is the beginning of the creation. But in 1859, a man by the name of Charles Darwin wrote his theories on evolution in a book called The Origin of Species. And it is where we get the modern day thoughts of evolution came from this man's writings. Thirteen years later, within that time period, he wrote two more books dealing with animal emotions and psychology. And... That has its place. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But not in the church. When the church embraced humanistic psychology. When the church embraced the teachings of Darwin. Laszlo. Rogers. And Freud. Rather than the teachings of Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John, we've got a problem. And when the church began to embrace such teachings, that is when I believe we begin to enter into the Laodicean church period. Because Jesus said, He said, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. That's verse 
15. He said, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What we have today, a lot of churches will not even hire a man to be their pastor unless he's got a doctorate in psychology. And like I said, when this began to come into the church, that's when I believe the Laodicean church period began, you've got the humanistic philosophy and wisdom of man with some scripture mixed in with it. You have the wisdom of man, which is cold. And scripture, which is hot, you've got this mixture of hot and cold, which produces lukewarm. And it's very distasteful to the Lord. Which today we've entered into an age where just about anything goes. Worldliness has come in to the church. Preachers don't say anything about drinking A little social drink once in a while is okay. And they've brought in all kinds of movies and secular music into the church. And like I said, it's worldliness that's come in mixed with some scriptures. And it's become lukewarm. Very distasteful to the Lord to such an extent that the Lord said, I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, you make me sick. You make me want to throw up. But that which is distasteful to the Lord is very tasteful to man. These things that come into the church is attractive to the community. Draws a lot of people. And when you have a lot of people, it also generates... A lot of money, income, that comes into the church. Which brings me up to the next point in verse 17. Jesus said, you say you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now, people have the idea that riches equals God's approval. We look at the church up the road and their parking lot is full every Wednesday night. They're parked down side the road on Sunday morning. We ride by and we look at that and we think, hey, now that church has got it going on. They must be doing something right to have that kind of crowd to come in just because there's a lot of people going to a church that doesn't mean that God's approving of what's going on and one of the churches that Jesus addressed and talked to he said you have a little strength and that wasn't strength as far as Physical strength is concerned. It was speaking about strength in numbers. There wasn't a lot of people 
in that church wasn't very large, but they were doing what he asked them to do. And God's church has never been very big. It's always been a remnant. It's, very, it's always been small. But it's a numbers game today. It's all about getting people in the door. Whatever it takes to get them in here. And I'm all for getting people in here, but they need to understand when they come in that door right there, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to hear what man's problem is, which is sin, and the solution, Christ crucified. That's what they're going to hear. They're not going to hear about, well, you've got some psychological defects, You've got something that your mama did to you back when you were a little bitty thing and your environment is not the best in the world and if we improve your environment then we can improve you. That's psychology. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all this kind of stuff. That's not what you're going to hear here. But you're going to hear the gospel to the best of my Ability to bring it to you. Jesus said, you're rich and increased with goods, or at least that's what you say. And you say you have need of nothing, but you know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now back up in verse 14, Jesus said he was the faithful and true witness. A witness is a person that has seen certain particular events and they stand up in a court of law and they testify as to what they have seen or what they know. Jesus said, I am the faithful and true witness. The testimony that he is about to give here is Faithful. He's going to be faithful to tell us the true condition of the church. And he said, You know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They were rich as far as materialistic things, but they were poor as it pertains to spiritual things. But there is a remedy. I said there is a remedy to the lukewarm condition of the church today. And the solution is the counselor in verse 18. He said, I counsel thee. Jesus looks directly at the church of today, and he addresses the problem of the church today. We live in a day and age where we think every problem, the answer to every problem is to sit down on a counselor's couch and just talk about it. That's the day and age that we live in. And in the church, we've traded the altar for the counselor's couch. Now, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There are times when situations and things come about 
and you need some some counseling. Don't mind coming to me if you've got a problem. I'm going to give you biblical counseling. I'm going to point you to the counselor. Jesus said, I counsel thee. I'm going to point you to the Word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to try my best to give you biblical counseling. And let me tell you something. A lot of the problems that people have, a lot of the counseling that preachers have to do today, if the people would come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night like they're supposed to and hear the message that God's given the preacher, there'd be a whole lot of this counseling stuff in the back office done away with. Because I believe if that man of God will lay on his face before God and ask God to give him a message that the people need to hear, the Holy Ghost will move and work within the hearts and lives of the people. And a whole lot of this counseling that goes on in the back room, there'll be a stop to it. And let me tell you, here's your counseling session. Three questions. Number one, what did you do? Number two, was it right or wrong? Number three, what are you going to do about it? That's it. That's the extent of your counseling. What did you do? Was it right or wrong? And what are you going to do about it? That's the extent of the counseling right there. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18... God said, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. There's your counseling. You can come and talk to me. I'd be glad to sit down and help you in any way that I can. But the only one that's really going to be able to help you is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I counsel you. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet. There's your problem. There's your problem. Sin is your problem. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you repent of that sin, what did you do? Was it right or wrong? Was it sin? Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to turn your back on God? Are you going to continue to go down the road that you're going? Or are you going to repent of that thing, turn from your sin, and ask the Lord to forgive you of it, and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did, and seek his face, seek him, talk to him about it. Back in the old days, and I'm talking to y'all, y'all older than I am. But I remember people telling me that back in the old days when they had problems, it won't nothing for some of the members of the church to get a chair and pull it right up here to the altar and sit down in that chair and pray till they got release in their soul over that thing. That's what you call praying through. Praying 
through. You keep praying about whatever problem you've got till you've got peace in your soul. And if that takes five hours, then it takes five hours. But you just keep praying and seeking God about that thing till you get a release in your soul. And I'll tell you something else. If you'll stop thinking about all them problems you got and start thanking God for all that he's blessed you with, you'll have a whole lot better off. You will. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Just start praising God and thanking God. I was going up to the hospital today. And uh, I looked over to the side and there was this young girl. She had one hand on the steering wheel and another hand up like that. (laughs) I don't know what she was listening to, but I guarantee you she was praising and worshiping God. I could look at her and tell she was worshiping and praising God. And just by seeing her, it rubbed off all over me. I said, Lord, I don't know. You're blessing her. I need some of that blessing here because you know what I'm going through. But if we'll just start praising the Lord a lot of times, he'll help us with these problems that we're going through. Have faith in the Lord. That's where we come in in verse 18. He said, I counsel thee to buy of me notice the terminology to buy of me now the first thing that would come to your mind is you would say well brother james i thought salvation was free salvation requires one thing of you and that is faith faith is the only currency that God will recognize. Let me say that again. Faith is the only currency that God will recognize. But it has to be faith in the finished work of Christ. Everything that we receive from God comes through and by what Jesus did at Calvary. He said, by of me the gold that's been tried in the fire now gold when it's mined out of the earth is not in a pure state it has to go through a purification process that gold has to be put in the fire And the impurities are brought to the surface. And then the impurities are scraped out. A purification of fire. Jesus said, buy of me the gold that's been tried in the fire. Jesus walked on this earth. And he has been where you and I are at. He has walked through the fiery trials of this life and did not sin one time in word, thought, or deed. He's been through that purification process for you and I. Buy of me the gold that's been tried in the fire. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points. 
just like we are, yet without sin. Buy of me the gold that's been tried in the fire, that you may be rich. When you put your faith in Jesus and what he did at Calvary, when Jesus died on Calvary, he took your sin And when he was raised from the dead, he gave you his righteousness. The riches. The true riches. The old song says the old account was settled long ago. Long ago, long ago, the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. And the old account was settled long ago. Also in verse 18, he talks about the white raiment that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. The white raiment is symbolic of his righteousness. When he was raised from the dead, he gave us his righteousness. But you obtain it by faith. And when we place our faith in what Jesus did, the shame of our sinfulness will not appear on the day of judgment. He will see that white garment, that white raiment. Then he says, anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. The city of Laodicea was proud of their medical school. They had developed an eye salve out of some clay from one of the mountains and mixed it with a spikenard. Sold it all over the Roman Empire and made a lot of money off of this ISAV. And recent discoveries of the soil of that area shows that there was no healing properties in that clay and in that spikenard. Jesus says here, anoint your eyes with eye salve. The eye salve that Jesus has will heal. But I want you to zero in on that word anoint. Anoint. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. That word anoint points to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that opens up our eyes so that we can better understand His Word. 
The Holy Spirit can open up our spiritual eyes, open up our understanding of his word. I remember somebody asked me one day, said, Brother James, I'm having trouble reading my Bible. What do you suggest? I said, the Bible was written so that when you read something that you don't understand, you go to the author. And that's the way the Bible is. There's a lot of stuff in this word that I don't understand. There's a lot of stuff in this word that you don't understand. And I want you to come to me if you've got questions. But I want you to go to him first. Go to him first. Develop a relationship with the Lord. That's why the word is written like it is. Here a little and there a little. Precept must be upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And as the Lord opens it up to you, you'll get a better understanding. Anoint your eyes with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about in John fourteen twenty six. He said, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Before you begin reading your devotion, your Sunday school lesson, or if you're reading the Bible through, before you even begin, say, Lord, I want you to open up your word to me. Help me. Holy Spirit, have your way. And I have found many times that I'll just get stuck on a couple of verses the Lord will highlight a certain phrase and I'll think about it and pray about it and the Lord will begin to open up and share some things with me. And uh, I don't know how God works with you, I just know He works with me that way. And when the Lord begins to point out things and we pray about it and keep reading it, the Lord will open it up to us. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to see. Anoint your eyes with the Holy Spirit. Depend and trust on the Holy Spirit to open up your eyes of understanding as it pertains to the Word of God. But understand this, the Holy Spirit only works within the confines of the finished work of Christ. In other words, your faith has got to be in Jesus and what he did at Calvary. The young man that said he was having trouble reading and understanding the Bible, I asked him, I said, are you saved? And he said, no, I'm not. Well, that's your first mistake. Because the natural mind of man cannot understand the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. You've got to be born again. And the sinner man out here in the world, he's, he's spiritually dead. 
And he's got to ask for forgiveness of his sin, repent of his sin, and accept the Lord as his Savior, and get born again of the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of him, and then he can hear what the Spirit is saying. Then when he reads the Word, he gets a better understanding because they're spiritually discerned. And in Romans 8 in verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life, the way the Holy Spirit works, is in Christ Jesus. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. He will not work outside of that. So you have to be saved in order to understand God's Word to the extent as you should. Then he said in verse 19, he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Not all the time. But sometimes the reason we have the problems that we have is because the Lord is chastising us. He's dealing with us about particular things. Now, we're all different, and that's not always the case. But whenever things are going bad, you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to show me? And when the Lord points those particular things out to you, there's only one answer. Repent. Repent. That's what he said. Repent. Before Jesus came the first time, John the Baptist came preaching that message, repent. And I truly believe before the Lord comes the second time, that same message needs to be preached again as well. He said in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. If you go through a course on how to lead people to the Lord, this will be one of the scriptures that they will tell you is a good scripture to share with the unbelieving, the sinner man out here, as far as leading them to the Lord. And it's not wrong to interpret this scripture that way, but the Lord is speaking to his church. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is pictured in the church of the last days, this day and age in which we now live. He is pictured standing outside the church, knocking trying to get in. Why? Because we've allowed psychology, worldliness, and other things to come in. And we'd rather have those things than we had rather have the Lord. And he's pictured standing outside, knocking, trying to get into the church. The church as a whole is not going to turn around. There are churches that have already started going down that road. And they're not going to change. You're wasting 
your time. But there are individuals that are going to these lukewarm churches that the Lord is knocking. The individuals, if any man, he brings it down to the individual. In that statement, he's no longer dealing with the church as a whole. He says, if any man, he brings it down, like I said, to the individual. There are individuals listening in these churches. They get it over 1090 a.m. every Sunday at 3 o'clock. If they're going to these dead, dried up, lukewarm churches, they get the Word of God hopefully over 1090 a.m. and through some of the CDs that go out this door. And God's dealing with some folks. I'm just believing that God is dealing with some folks and they're going to have to make a decision to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. He said, I stand at the door and knock and if any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame? The only way that you are going to be an overcomer is to overcome the way that Jesus overcame. Now, how did Jesus overcome? He overcame by denying himself. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He overcame by denying himself and taking up his cross and fulfilling the will of God, which is the exact same thing that he told us to do. He said, deny yourself. If you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up the cross daily and follow me. Now, people have misinterpretations of this verse. People seem to think that and I'll just give you an example. Somebody had a car wreck and they lost their legs and now they're in a wheelchair for the rest of their life and we'll look at that and say, well, that's just the cross they have to bear. Or they lose an arm in an accident or something and now they don't have an arm for the rest of their life and we'll make that same statement, well, that's just the cross they have to bear. Losing your legs or losing an arm has never saved a single soul. That, now think about that. If you lose an eye or, or limb of some kind, or you're going through a hard time, and Lord knows there's some of us going through a hard time, and we say, well, that's just the cross they have to bear. It's a cross, but that's not the cross that's going to save you. The only cross that's going to save you is Jesus' cross. He said, overcome. 
like I overcome. Which means when you put your faith in the finished work of Christ, in the mind of God, you died with Jesus on that cross. Your sins were buried in that tomb. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised in a newness of life awaiting for the resurrection. The rapture of the church which could take place at any moment. Now, he finishes in verse 22 with the statement, He that has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I've stated this several times. I sound like a broke record. But. As a Christian. The moment you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes inside. You're saved. But he's going to start cleaning you up. Someone told me a long time ago, James, if you catch him, he'll clean him. <laughs> if you catch him, he'll clean him. Don't, don't try to clean him up. That ain't your job. That's the Lord's job. If you catch him, he'll clean him. But the only way he'll clean them is if they've got an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. In other words, they put into practice what the Lord is saying. And that goes with all of us. As the Lord deals with us about particular things, we go to Him and we ask Him to help us with these things and we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.